You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Deloitte continues to investigate its breach, saying little, but other people are talking. The SEC tells the Senate it's deeply concerned about its own breach. Popular iOS and Android stock trading apps are found vulnerable. Sonic drive-ins have sustained what looks like a pretty big breach. Russian influence operations against the U.S. are turning toward local government, religious groups, civic associations, and others at the grassroots. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, September 27, 2017. Deloitte continues to say little about its breach, maintaining its position that few clients were affected. Outside observers think the incident involved failure to use multi-factor authentication on an admin account. They also think earlier reports that government organizations were affected seem to have been inaccurate. We heard from experts at Vasco Data Security and Virsec Systems who offered their views on the incident. Vasco's John Gunn thinks massive leaks of pay card information and social security numbers have flooded the black market to the extent that these commodities have become devalued. There's a glut on the market. Gunn told us in an email, quote, What we will see now is a continuing rise in attacks on other sources of confidential data that can profit attackers. Material information that could be used, for example, for insider trading or to yield trade secrets is now much more attractive than mere credit card number theft. Firms such as Deloitte that have troves of sensitive non-public information that could be used for illegal trading activity will find themselves increasingly in the crosshairs of sophisticated hacking organizations. William Leichter of Versec commented that what's critical is to react quickly and close the window of opportunity to limit damage. If Deloitte had set up a security system for a client that didn't detect a breach in more than six months, they would be fired, or worse. We asked Mr. Gunn and Leichter some follow-up questions. First, Deloitte has said that only six customers were affected, and these only in relatively minor ways. Are there any indications the breach may have been more widespread or more serious? Gunn said, quote, My guess is that the hackers were likely seeking confidential or inside information that they could use for gain in stock trades or for blackmail purposes. It would be very challenging to make a reliable estimate of how many parties may have been affected. If none of the information taken had any value, then the answer is zero. Leichter had a different take, and he sees the slow response as telling, both in the case of Deloitte and in that of Equifax. He said, quote, Deloitte has not acted like this is a small or trivial breach. 
Even if only six of their Fortune 500 clients were affected, this still could represent tens of thousands of records. Multiple sources have reported that email servers and administrator accounts were compromised and the damage could be extensive. But the lack of transparency and slow response from Deloitte, Equifax and other breached companies creates frustration, confusion and more distrust. End quote. We asked about reports that credit card information may have been lost. That seemed to be an almost reflexive aspect of early reporting on the breach. It's not clear what was lost beyond emails, but Gunn pointed out the unlikelihood of Deloitte clients paying with credit or debit cards. Quote, This was not a traditional attack like the ones that we see against retail organizations with massive pools of consumer payment information. End quote. Finally, we asked them whether they had any insight into why it took so long for this breach to become public. Deloitte has apparently known about it for a few months. Gunn thinks the delay is unsurprising. He said, quote, Corporate network breaches are not like a physical break-in. You don't walk in one day and see a broken door and glass all over the floor. End quote. So Deloitte hasn't necessarily been stonewalling. Sometimes it simply takes a while. As Gunn explained, quote, It can take many months of complex forensic work to confirm that a breach occurred and to determine the extent of the intrusion and possible damage. End quote. Leichter thinks there are lessons here for public policy. He said, quote, There is a fundamental problem with most disclosures of public breaches. While there are breach notification requirements in 47 states, there are not strict rules on timelines and how much needs to be disclosed. Many companies fall back on disclosing as little as possible and waiting as long as possible to hopefully manage the fallout. But as we've seen in many cases, the fallout is usually worse if companies delay disclosure and consumer data can be exposed for long periods without their knowledge. We need to look at the new European GDPR rules, which require notification of any serious breach to authorities within 72 hours. End quote. If you're an employer, no doubt you try to strike a balance between respecting your employees' privacy and securing your network. In the U.S., employers have the right to monitor what workers do on company-owned machines, but nobody likes to think that the boss is looking over their shoulder. Still, there are certain kinds of activity that can and should set off warnings. Pornography is an obvious one, but what about radicalization? How can you tell if a network user is simply curious about something they read in the news or on a path toward being brainwashed and radicalized? Isaac Cohen is CEO at Terramind, and he offers his perspective. Radicalization starts by a person uh, doing research, essentially, either because they've heard of something or uh, you know something triggered uh, their desire to learn more about it. And then as they do research, uh, they come to certain websites, certain elements in social media that push them and sort of brainwash them into that material that they want to brainwash. So uh, obviously it's a big problem. Early detection is extremely important. Uh, so you want to tackle the problem at the initial research stage. And it's definitely something that uh, educational institutions and even commercial organizations are looking at now. So give us an overview here. You know, if I'm an organization and my employees are, are using our systems to, to search, to do research, to just, you know, read things they're interested in on their lunch hour or before or after work, uh, what are my rights and responsibilities when it comes to that sort of web browsing? Obviously, each country has its own rules and laws uh, governing privacy. What we focus on uh, is employee usage of company computer, company hardware uh, during work hours. That really narrows it down, but it's better than nothing. And if you, you look at it objectively, that's you know eight hours of an employee's time they spend on company computers a day. 
So you can still capture a lot of the, that person's activity for better or worse. You don't have to actively report or monitor anything. I'm not, I'm not talking about specifically any one software or another, but what you can do is just define triggers. So when someone sees the word jihad or some other radicalization keyword on the screen, then trigger an alert uh, without violating uh, that person's privacy, without monitoring what they do uh, in their private bank account, for example. So how do you differentiate between someone who may just be curious about something, maybe against the thing that they're searching for, uh, and is just looking to do some research to uh, to educate themselves versus someone who's headed down a slippery slope that you may want to, uh, to get in the way of? Well, the larger the organization, the easier it is, because uh, in a large organization, you'll have a baseline for anomaly detection, right? So if you have a 10,000-person organization, then N percent, a very small percentage, but whatever, will, will be interested in this type of thing and research it. However, if 3% research jihad, but three people in the organization research it, you know, six hours a day, then those three people should be under watch or they would be the anomalies. So it's not necessarily just a keyword trigger, right? You would also uh, say, well, where is the keyword? Is it in an outgoing email? that might have more weight than just browsing a website. And if it's in an email, well, how many emails went out to how many recipients? If it's in a website, what was the domain of the website? Was it CNN or was it uh, something in the dark web? So there are many, many factors you can look at. It's not a simple, uh, you know, has a person seen this keyword on the screen? That would trigger lots of false positives and it would lose its value. If you think about it, it's just as sensitive as investigating someone who might research about suicide. Right. It's something that you wouldn't want to tell others. You would want to approach this person in an extremely sensitive way. So you have to, to mitigate. You know, people get radicalized, people from all walks of life, people get brainwashed. The faster you catch it, the less damage you'll have. That's Isaac Cohen from TerraMind. Taking a quick look at our CyberWire event tracker, the SANS Technology Institute has an online information session September 28th, that's tomorrow, where you can learn all about how to earn a master's degree in cybersecurity. That's at noon on the 28th. Coming up on the 9th and 10th of October in Krakow, there's an event being held by CyberSec, the European Cybersecurity Forum. It's called Dealing with Cyber Disruption. Clearjobs.net is hosting a Cyber Maryland job fair on October 11th in Baltimore. And UMBC has a cybersecurity graduate program information session. That's October 11th in Rockville, Maryland. The International Information Sharing Conference is coming up October 31st through November 1st in Washington, D.C. It's called Cybersecurity is a Team Sport. And we here at the CyberWire are pleased to present the fourth annual Women in Cybersecurity Reception that's coming up Tuesday, October 17th, here in Baltimore, Maryland. You can find out more about all these events and how to list yours at thecyberwire.com slash events. Moving to another big breach story. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission told the Senate that while it's deeply concerned, no personal information was compromised. To most observers, that was never a concern. Exposure of sensitive material corporate information was the issue. One newly reported breach, and it's a large one, does involve that commodified pay card data that weren't the apparent targets of the hoods who hit Deloitte and the SEC. This news comes from the U.S. drive-in restaurant chain Sonic. The breach came to light yesterday as banks traced patterns of fraud to the Oklahoma-based chain. Investigation is in its early stages, but millions of cards could be affected. IOActive took a look at the security of 21 popular mobile stock trading apps and found them wanting. Many didn't require two-factor authentication to access bank accounts. 
man-in-the-middle vulnerabilities were common, and some didn't encrypt traffic. Investigation of Russian influence operations in the U.S. continues. The goal is by now clear. Disruption and erosion of the trust that sustains civil society. There are, foreign policy argues, signs that Russian information operations are shifting away from national targets and moving toward local governments, associations, religious groups, and activists. This is nothing new, considered against the background of Russia's history with propaganda. Retrospectives on WannaCry continue to attribute the ransomware or pseudo-ransomware to North Korean operators using tools allegedly stolen from NSA. In an information operations display, Russia's Sputnik News strongly connects those tools with a U.S. agency, but passes over in silence how those tools were obtained and released. After all, in influence operations, the important lies need a bodyguard of truth. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, ben, we saw a story come by uh, via Krebs on Security about uh, a new bill that's uh, trying to improve Internet of Things security standards. 
Yeah, so this is introduced in the United States Senate. It has bipartisan support. It was introduced by uh, Republican Senator Cory Gardner uh, and Steve Daines, and it's also supported by Mark Warner and, and Ron Wyden, who are Democrats. And the bill would direct the White House Office of Management and Budget, OMB, who does government contracting, to develop alternative network-level uh, security requirements for devices with limited data processing and software functionality. It requires every executive agency to inventory all of their internet-connected devices in use by the agency to make sure that the devices can be patched, for example, when security updates are available, so that the devices are not hard-coded, and to make sure that the vendors that they're using are ensuring that the devices are free from uh, known vulnerabilities when they're sold. Uh, obviously, this comes in the wake of very high-profile uh, cyber attacks, most notably on the Office of Personnel Management a couple of years ago. And the bill is supported by basically every relevant group you can think of. This article mentions the Center for Democracy and Technology, the Berkeley Cybersecurity Project over at Harvard, the Berkman Klein Center for Internet uh, and Society. So it's, it's a widely supported bill at least at this point. Obviously, with such an anemic Congress, we never know the true likelihood of it being uh, enacted, but I think the chances are pretty good. And would this apply to purchases by the federal government itself? So this is really only applying to government things and, and not necessarily, for example, consumer devices? Yeah, so this would apply to uh, government vendors, meaning when the government makes a purchase, and they make millions of purchases, they would need to make sure that the devices that are being sold uh, have to have a basic level of security uh, if it is a device that's an IoT, Internet of Things device. Uh, so this does only apply to government purchasing. But as we see in all areas uh, of the law and policy, sometimes the government can really set the standard. You know, when the federal government wants to make a change, for example, to health policy, some sort of payment reform, they'll do it through Medicare, which is a government program. But because Medicare is such a large payer, it ends up having a ripple effect on the rest of the healthcare system. And I think sort of the same thing is happening here. If the standards for government vendors are higher, then perhaps the private sector will naturally follow suit because the government is such a large purchaser uh, of these devices. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. 
cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.